Welcome to Awaken to Grace. My name is Chad Roberts. I'm the pastor of Preaching Christ Church, and I'm the host of Awakened Radio. And today, our sermon, I'm so excited to share it with you because it is called The God of Victory. We're in a great series where we are studying some of the Hebrew names or titles for God, and today's title is Jehovah Nissi, or Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And we're going to be in Exodus 17, and we're going to see why and how God brings victory into our life. If you're someone listening today and you need victory, well, I know today is going to help you in a great way. This week is the God of victory. And you know, this leads us beautifully into next Sunday, which is the God of miracles. Jehovah Rapha, the God, our healer. Amen. So here we are. We're now at part seven, week seven. The God of victory, our name this week that we're going to study, is found in Exodus chapter 17. It is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord my banner, or you could say the God of banner, Jehovah Nisi. Now, this was important in biblical days because in biblical days, they didn't fly flags the way that we fly. Countries were not symbolized by that yet. So what they did is they created a banner which would be the equivalent to a flag. But in these days, banners were often made of wood. They were used of metal. They were painted. They were large. They would be put upon a large pole, and you would lift it high. And while the soldiers were engaged in the battlefield, often the banner would serve as a rally cry. It would serve as a surge of morale. A soldier could look up and they could see the banner up on the hill and it would remind them, this is what I'm fighting for. Do you understand? And so when Israel comes to a place called Rephidim, this is post the Red Sea, God has now delivered them out of the Red Sea, out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of 400 years of slavery. God has now delivered them, and now they've crossed through the Red Sea, and now they're on that side of the wilderness. They're on, a Can- they're on the Canaan side, all right? They're headed toward the promised land, but there's some bumps along the way. Let me give you a two-minute history lesson. If you start with chapter 14, you see the crossing of the Red Sea and how God absolutely did the miraculous and the impossible. My friends, God still does the impossibilities today, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, they crossed the Red Sea as it's famously known, but have you ever read Exodus chapter 15? Have you ever seen the incredible song of victory that Israel sang to the Lord? It's amazing to read that chapter and to to feel the sense of overcoming victory. Well, it didn't take long for that to change. Chapter 15 is a splendid chapter. But then you get into chapter 16, and guess what happens? They begin to grumble. Oh, don't we love to grumble. Now, come on, let's be honest. I didn't get any amens there. You're ashamed to admit it. Well, how about this? 
Don't our spouses love to grumble? There's some amens. We'll do marriage counseling later. It's fine. We'll, we'll work on it. We love to grumble, don't we? The Lord convicted me yesterday. You know, in this season of blindness, my work has slowed down. I used to take such great pride in the way I worked. Let me tell you, I'd come down here early in the mornings. I'd work till late in the evenings. And I wore it like a badge of honor. Oh, I could work. Oh, I'll call it, I could outwork anyone I knew. And I loved it. And do you know what God is turning for my good in this season? He's rescuing me from a hurried life from being too busy, from being too occupied. Now, when I come down here, when I came down here yesterday morning, Sadie dropped me off and I was by myself and I was able to just sit and pray and think, where does the Lord want us? I heard someone say about a month ago, they said, our greatest thinking comes from our margin time. I said, well, God, you must want me to think and pray a lot because all I got is margin time now. And I had a good day. And I had a productive day. But don't we love to grumble? Sadie picked me up at 5 o'clock yesterday. I was here all day. And I had a good day. And Sadie picked me up at 5 and we started down Center Street, headed home. And she asked me very pleasantly, she said, did you get a lot done today? And you know what I said? I said something to the effect of, well, (laughs) for what it is, yeah, I did, I guess. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me right then? The Holy Spirit said, Chad, you want to sit in this situation a little longer? You want to stay here a little while longer? You want to? You want to? We love to grumble, don't we? And Israel come to a place in chapter 16 where there's no food. And do you know what they actually said? I can't, oh, Lord, help me not to throw stones at them. But listen what they did. They said, Moses, why did you bring us out here? This is what they said before the crossing of the Red Sea. They said, we would have been better to have died in Egypt. That's what people with a slave mentality say. And they'd been slaves for 400 years. These weren't warriors. These weren't battle-hardened soldiers. These were people with a slave mentality. And they said, Moses, back in Egypt, we would sit around our meat pots. That's what it says in verse, uh, in chapter 15, uh, 16. That's equivalent to us saying, I remember mama's cooking, right? (laughs) We would sit around meat pots and we would eat bread until we were full. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord heard their grumblings. And the Lord provided. He gave them manna from heaven. The Bible says that it was like a wafer baked with honey. I asked the Lord yesterday, I said, how different is that from a Teddy Graham? I wonder, I just wonder. I wonder if when we get to heaven, if there won't be like a manna tasting station. Wouldn't that be cool? Where you could just literally taste what that manna was? You know, not that you want to eat on it all eternity. It's just, you know, it'd be be nice to know. Compare it to a Teddy Graham. But anyway. (coughs) 
that's not in any commentary. I promise you that. You see, I promise that. God gave them manna from heaven and quail to eat. But then when we come to chapter 17, now watch what happens. They come to a place called Rephidim. Rephidim. Now this is two months and 15 days past the Red Sea, past being delivered out of the hand of Egypt. This is two months and 15 days after they've had the greatest victory of their nation's history. And they come to this place called Rephidim. I asked Sadie yesterday, I said, I wonder if there's a Rephidim Baptist Church anywhere in America. I've never heard the name Rephidim Church, you know. So I mean, anyway, Rephidim. And when they came to Rephidim, now it's quite a different situation. They, they, have, they have food, but they don't have any water. Now, those of you who are fasting right now these 40 days and 40 nights, how many of you know 40 days and 40 nights is a long time, right? You got seven more days. How many of you can say, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, seven more days, right? But listen, listen, you can go a long time without food. You can't go very long at all without water, right? This is a serious situation. And watch what happens in chapter 16. They are grumbling unto the Lord, but in chapter 17, they are quarreling with Moses, the leader. There's quite an escalation going on. And Moses goes to God, and Moses says, God, the people are about to stone me. What do I do? They're quarreling with me. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me, and why do you test the Lord? Let me tell you, my friends, I want us to understand this today. God hears our grumblings. God hears our complaints. God hears our frustrations. God sees the ungratefulness that arises out of our hearts from time to time. And it's nothing to allow in your life. When we sense that grumbling, when we sense that discontentment, we need to arrest it right then, repent of it, and say, God, I I don't want this in my life. We were driving down Center Street, and I felt the conviction of the Lord. I felt it. Later that night before we went to bed, I told Sadie, I said, God convicted me. I should have never said that. I actually had a good day, and I had a productive day, and I had a good day with the Lord. Well, why should I grumble, right? And so chapter 17, God tells Moses what to do. He's to take the staff, and God said, the staff in which you struck the Nile and strike the rock, and water's going to come forth now. Folks, we're not talking about water for a few hundred people or even a few thousand. Scholars tell us that, scholars estimate that at this time in Israel's history, what came out of Egypt could have been up to one million people. We're talking 800,000, maybe a million. We're talking about literally like the population of the city of Jacksonville, Florida. We're talking about a massive amount of men, women, children, plus their livestock. Could you imagine how much water would have had to come out of that rock to feed that many people and their families? Quite extraordinary. And so when we come to verse number eight, the people say something quite extraordinary. They tell Moses, they say in in, in chapter 17, they say, is God with us or not? Oh, gosh. Think about it. Had you lived in that generation, you would have seen every plague 
that came upon Egypt. How would you doubt God's faithfulness? Had you lived in that generation, you would have walked across on dry ground across the Red Sea. How could you not have seen God's faithfulness? You would have been eating manna from heaven every morning. How could you not have seen God's faithfulness? And now, after their greatest triumph, is going to come their first great test. And watch what happens beginning, I think, in verse number 8 of chapter 17. A group, a nation, a people called the Amalekites are going to come against Israel. Now, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the God of victory. We're talking about Jehovah Nissi. We're talking about God, our banner, Yahweh Nissi. The Lord is my victory. The Lord is my banner. Now, this is going to be the first battle that Israel fights coming out of Egypt, coming out of 400 years of slavery. Egypt, uh, Israel doesn't know how to fight battles. They're not a trained army. They're, they're not trained warriors. This is going to be the first encounter. I mean, this is way before Jericho. This is way before any of their other great conquests and defeats. This is before the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and the, uh, all the other ites. I mean, this is before all of them. This is going to be the Amalek. Uh, uh, and and this, is, this is going to be the first battle. Now, there's great truth in here. By God's help, we're going to unpack this for a few moments. And it's going to speak into your life and it's going to help you greatly. So Moses goes to Joshua and says, the Amalekites are about to attack us. Choose men among us and go and fight them. And Moses says, I'm going to climb this hill and I'm going to take the staff of God with me and I'm going to raise it up like a banner. All right? This is where this idea comes from. So the story is going to go on, and when Moses raises that staff up like a banner, Israel is going to prevail over the Amalekites. But when he gets weak and drops his hands, the Amalekites are going to prevail. When the hands go back up, Israel prevails. All of a sudden, Aaron and Hur come to his side, and they put a stone underneath him for him to sit down and rest, and Aaron and Hur Hold his hands up. How many of you know 10 pounds don't weigh a lot until you have to hold it above your head for a long time? Then it gets real heavy real fast, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. I've struggled all week this week with this text. It's been a mystery to me. There's so many different views. There's so many different interpretations. And there's some who see Moses as us, as though we are to intercede and We are to lift up the cross and, you know, when our hands get weak, then Satan overcomes. But when we're lifting up Jesus, then we prevail. And there's all kinds of interpretations. (coughs) But the more that I prayed and the more that I sought God in this, it didn't, it just wasn't setting right. And I kept (coughs) seeking the Lord. God, what would you share with us this Sunday? Because we should always be able to go back to the Old Testament and find New Testament truth. You understand? We should always be able to go back into the pages of the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ there and see where we live today and how God and how the story of redemption is threaded throughout every page and every chapter of the Bible. We should be able to see that. And I couldn't see it. If if we're the Moses and we're climbing the hill and and we're to intercede and pray, and, and I do think it's implying intercession, but... I just couldn't make the link, and I was struggling all week. 
and felt discouraged all week. Well, let me share with you as best that I can what I feel this text is saying. As much as I would love to see us as Moses, as much as I would love to see us climbing that hill and lifting the banner of Jesus and I don't, I don't see us there. Now, number one, I'm going to give you three very quick things. Number one, the Amalekites. I want you to understand, first of all, who the Amalekites were. Historically, they were the enemies of God. Historically, they were Amalek, who the Amalekites descended from, was the grandson of Esau. And God rejected Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a pot of for a pot of stew. Esau rejected the Lord and and the Lord's blessings and God in turn rejected Esau. And so the Amalekites, this people group comes from Amalek. But what they represent in the Bible is an ongoing, consistent conflict between God and Satan. This group was the first to attack God's people, the people of Israel. And so God says, you can read it at the end of chapter 17. God says, he makes a promise from generation to generation, I will make war with Amalek. And friends, that applies even today to our generation because Amalek represents, the Amalekites, they represent the spiritual darkness, the spiritual forces that oppose God in his work today. You have to understand the battle that you and I are in right now today. You and I have to understand that the kingdom of darkness has certain ranks among it. And the Bible calls them rulers, authorities, principalities, cosmic forces, spiritual wickedness in high places. And you and I have to understand that the enemy that you and I face today, like we compared to Goliath, the enemy that you and I face, the enemy that your children face, the enemy that your marriage faces is far greater today than any enemy of the Old Testament. Far greater than any giant of Goliath, far greater than any Philistine, far greater than the Amalekites. We face a greater enemy today. And these people of Amalek, they represent Satan and his kingdom today. And do you know what Satan was after as he attacked Israel that day? Had nothing to do with Moses. Had nothing to do with Joshua. Had nothing really to do with the nation of Israel. Do you know what he was after? Stopping Christ from coming into history. He wanted to stop the seed of Christ. That has been his objective ever since man was put upon the earth. Is to stop Christ from coming. That was his goal and that was his objective. And so they attack the people of Israel. Number two, I want us to understand clearly who we are in the story. I wish that we were the great Moses climbing the mountain. But there was another man who climbed a mountain called Golgotha. We're not that person. (laughs) Do you know who we are in the story? Oh, I'm so sad to tell you. We're the people of Israel that grumble and complain. We're the people of Israel that we don't know what we're doing. We're the people of Israel that we don't really know how to fight this fight on our own. How many of you understand what I'm saying today? We're the people of Israel that we're the ones who are grumbling rather than saying, okay, God, are we obeying you? And here's what I want you to see. This is what I want you to see today. Israel was a mess. Oh, they made a mess of everything. But do you know what happened? 
<laughs> Sometimes the Lord knows a good fight is exactly what his people need. And you know what happened when they got engaged in the fight? That's when God could really help them. You know what would happen as Moses lifted up that rod? You know what happened? When the soldiers would look up to that rod, a surge would come over that army. Even though they weren't well equipped, even though they didn't really know what they were doing, a surge of power would come over them. And let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that not only did Israel prevail over the Amalekites, you don't want to know what it says? It says that Joshua overwhelmed them. Do you know what this verse tells me, church? This verse tells me that at times I may feel weak within myself. At times I may feel unsure within myself. At times I may feel inadequate. At times I may tell the Lord, I really don't know what I'm doing. This really is above my head. God, I really don't know if I have what it takes. I really don't feel strong enough. But do you know what it tells me? If I keep looking to the cross, if I keep looking to what my real victory is, Jesus Christ, Christ the Lord my banner then guess what I can overwhelm the kingdom of darkness it will not prevail against me I will prevail against it that's what this scripture tells me so here Moses is he climbs the hill he takes the staff there's a phrase here I don't want you to miss because to me this is the crux of the whole matter the Bible says that Moses took the staff not of the people Not his staff, not the staff of Israel. It says that Moses took the staff of God. You know what this tells me? It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. This is the work of God. It's not the work of my hands. It's the work of God. You don't need my power. I don't need your strength. I don't need your abilities. What I need is the power of God in my life. I need the power of God functioning in my prayers. I need the power of God in my preaching. I need the power of God in my marriage. I need the power of God more than I need anything. And when Moses took the rod, the Bible calls it the rod of God. And that's what he took. And this is what it's symbolic of. Moses took that piece of wood and he climbed the hill and he lifted it high. And what do you think Jesus meant when he said, when the son of man is lifted high, he will draw all men to himself. What is this symbolic? It's symbolic of the cross. Let me give you greater proof. Go to Colossians 2 verse 15. Oh, I love this. Colossians 2 verse 15. Don't miss this. Say amen if you're with me right now. Because this is the good part. We're to the steak now. We've had the baked potato. We've had the salad. We've had the bread. And if you're fasting, forgive me. I'm so sorry. But now we're to the steak. Now watch this. This is, this is beautiful. If what Moses represents is Jesus, <laughs> and it represents the cross, I want you to read it in the view, in the lens, in the perspective of Colossians 2 verse 15. Watch what it says that Jesus did upon the cross. Verse 13 and 14 says that that we had a record of debt. The Bible says this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. And listen what he did on the cross, verse 15. He disarmed. 
the rulers and authorities. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about the, we're talking about the, the, the spiritual uh, kingdom of darkness. We're talking about what is the Old Testament, the, the Amalekites. We're talking about what opposes you and your family. We're talking about the spirits of infirmity. We're talking about the spirits of suicide. We're talking about the spirits of lying and deceiving. We're talking about the spirits of adultery and fornication. We're talking about the spirits of addiction. We're talking about these spirits, these rulers, these authorities. And do you know what the Bible says Jesus Christ did upon the cross? He stripped them of all power. That word disarm literally means to strip of your power. How did Jesus Christ die upon the cross? Anybody know? He died naked. The soldier stripped his garments off of him. And he died naked and ashamed and exposed. But all the while, see, when it comes to God, not everything is as though it seems. All the while, what was Jesus Christ doing? He was stripping. He was was disarming the spiritual rulers and authorities. Those things that would attack you. Those things that would oppose your family. Those things that attack our church. And Jesus Christ stripped them of all power. And how did he do it? Read it. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by triumphing over them, putting them to open shame. Hallelujah. He triumphed over them. What does that mean to triumph? What does it mean what Jesus Christ did when he triumphed over? We're talking about the Lord, our victory. We're talking about the Lord, our banner. What's it mean that he triumphed? Go real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. You need to memorize this scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Notice what it says. But thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession through Christ. Who always, not sometimes, not most of the time, not a few times. No, all the time. See, there's a principle that I want us to understand today. Is victory ours through Jesus Christ? You better know it is. And here's what you and I must understand. God in every battle, in every fight, in every opposing of Satan, always God is going to lead us in triumphal procession. God is going to give us victory through Jesus Christ. And here's the point I want you to know. As Christians, we don't fight for victory. As Christians, we fight because of victory. Victory is ours through Christ, and we don't fight hoping to get it. We fight because of it. Do you understand the principle there? Some of you are doing all you can to hang on right now. You don't need to try to hang on. You need to stand in victory because victory is already promised. Some of you are allowing sin in your life. You're given over ground that God's already won. Now, come on now. You with me right now? You think you can't leave that affair? You think you can't stop that addiction? You think you can't walk away from that sin? You're giving up ground that's already been won through Jesus Christ. The victory's already yours. It's already won, and you're giving over the ground. No, 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 we must understand. We don't fight for victory. We fight out of victory because Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. What did Paul mean when he said always leads in triumph? What does he mean by that? You know what Paul had in mind? 
He had in mind a Roman general. Do you know what a Roman general would do? A Roman general, when they would conquer some foreign enemy, they would take the king or they would take the emperor or they would take the general, whoever was the highest rank, they would take him back to Rome. And you know what Rome always loved? Oh, they loved their victory parades. And you can see it in your mind's eye. Can you see those ancient roads of Rome? That great imperial city. And crowds would gather around the, on the sides, the edges of the streets. And the military would do their parade. And they would bring back all the spoils of war. Well, do you know what the general of the army would do? He would take his captor. He would take the king or the emperor or the general. He would take him and he would bind his hands. And he would bind his feet. And he would attach his feet to the back of his victory chariot. I want you to think about this. He would take his feet attached to the chariot. He would climb into his military chariot with his majestic horses. And he would parade his captor through the streets of Rome in victory. Friends, that is the exact image that God wants us to have of Satan and all of his kingdom in our life. Satan had, listen, Jesus has already beat him up. Jesus has already overcome. Jesus has already guaranteed victory. He's already promised the victory to us. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to engage in the fight and to expect victory. That's our responsibility. And if you and I, like the soldiers of Israel, would look up and they would see Moses interceding, they would see Moses lifting up the rod and a surge of power would come. If you and I would understand, what is the ministry of Christ today? What's the book of Hebrews teach? He has resurrected from the dead. He's ascended on high. He is seated with Christ. Moses was seated on the rock. Christ is seated with God at the right hand of his throne. And what does the book of Hebrews says? He ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. And in the heat of the battle, if you'll look to Christ, if you'll look to the cross, I'm telling you, the surge of the Holy Spirit will come and you will win the battle. Amen. It's not a question of victory. It's a question of how are you fighting? Are you fighting in trust? Are you fighting in faith? Are you fighting in belief? Are you fighting looking to Jesus? Are you fighting in his power and in his strength? Or are you fighting only in yourself? Because I'll tell you right now, that's the worst way to fight. You'll, get, you'll, you'll become, you'll become a, a casualty. And that's not the will of God for you. The will of God for you, the will of God for me is to be more than an overcomer. And being more than an overcomer has nothing to do with our strength or our ability or our, you know, whatever you want to throw into that category. You and I, listen, you and I have got to be aware of our sin of self-sufficiency. Let me give you one more scripture. And then I'll close. Jeremiah 2, 13. Jeremiah 2, 13, God says, my people, not sinners, not not worldly people. God says, my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns which can hold no water. Friends, you and I have to be aware of the sin of self-sufficiency within our own lives. And if you and I are aware of the sin of self-sufficiency, what it's going to cause us to do is not look within. That's the worst thing you can do. Not look without. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Y'all ever listen to people and they got you in trouble? I hear some nervous laughter. We've all done it, right? You're not to look within. You're not to look without. You're to look up. You're to look up at our great intercessor. Have you ever asked Jesus to intercede for you? Lord, you know my weakness. You know what I'm facing. You know how discouraged I feel. Jesus, will you intercede for me? Oh, what a sweet prayer. He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Are we looking to Calvary? Are we looking to the cross? Are we looking to our great intercessor? Or are we on the battlefield and just trying our best to survive? No. God wants to give us the surge of the Holy Spirit. But it comes through only one way. Looking to the cross. Looking to the great intercessor. And let me tell you, Jesus' hands, his his hands do not grow weak. See, Moses was a man. (laughs) Moses was a man. He was human. He was frailty. No, no, no. Jesus, think about this. Jesus prayed as a man, but now he prays as the resurrected son of God. How much greater are his prayers today than they were in the garden of Gethsemane or anywhere else on the earth that he prayed? He was God, but he was also man. But no, no. After he he arose, what did the Bible say? He's been given the name above all names. How great is the intercession of Jesus. How great. How great. How great. And here some of you are on the battlefield and you feel alone. You feel by yourself. You feel abandoned. Let me tell you what Robert Murray McShane said, that great, great pastor of the 1800s. Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could hear Christ in the other room praying for me, I wouldn't fear an army of thousands. Listen to what he said. He said, but distance makes no difference. Christ is praying for me and he's praying for you right now. Amazing. He's our great intercessor. He knows our struggles. He knows our battles. He knows our weariness. He knows our faults. He knows our complaints. He knows our grumblings. He knows our failures. Oh, he knows. And when you and I Go to him with these things and say, Jesus, this isn't how I want to be. Oh, God, increase my faith. Jesus, give me faith. Jesus, give me confidence. Jesus, give me strength. See, you're not looking within. You're looking up. You're not looking without. You're looking up. And what did David say? 
I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Amen. And I know it in my heart. Some of you have walked in this building today. Some of you are listening online today. And you, you need help. And you're looking everywhere for it. My friends, look to Jesus. He's the great intercessor. He's the victory giver. Some of you are in battles today that you're not sure if you're going to win. You need to look to Jesus for victory. Some of you are in sin today that you need to forsake. You see, Saul was told. Let me say this last thing. Saul was told to kill, to destroy all of the Amalekites. And he conquered them. Do you know what Saul did that cost him his kingship and it cost him his life? Saul kept them as trophies. He kept a few Amalekites as trophies of war. Listen, I'm going to give some of you a word from the Lord right now. Some of you, God's delivered you from sin. You've been set free from sin. But you are keeping sin around in your life as some kind of weird trophy. You need to get it out. You need to repent today. You need to repent today. You want victory? It'll only come through repentance. You want victory? You got to get sin out. I'm telling you right now, God will not compete with it. God will not compete. He'll leave you in the wilderness. He'll let you wander until you die. He won't compete with it. You better repent today. Don't leave any Amalekite in your life. Don't leave any sin in your life. Get it completely out today. You want victory? You want victory, you're praying, you're fasting, you're believing God for the extraordinary, get sin out of your life. And when you leave no Amalekites behind, I'm telling you, God will give you the victory. He'll give you the victory. Let's pray today. God, thank you for your victory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us always in triumphal procession through Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for the Old Testament. Thank you for the truths, the New Testament truths that we see out of the Old Testament. That Christ is interceding for us. Right now, he's making intercession on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've not left us alone. When Satan would come to attack us, Israel didn't provoke the Amalekites. They came and attacked Israel. In times that Satan would attack our marriage, times he would attack our children times he would attack our health times he would attack our job times that he would attack our spiritual walk times that he would attack our mind times that he would attack our emotions and our affections times that he would attack God you'll give us the surge of the Holy Spirit to fight you've already given us victory we just have to stand and fight the victory's promised the victory's won and God, I know in my heart, you're going to help us prevail. You're going to give us the testimony. Just as Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites, we're going to overwhelm the kingdom of darkness in this city. We're going to overwhelm it in Jesus' name. We're going to overwhelm it in Jesus' name. For it is not by might, it is not by power, it's by your spirit, says the Lord. So give us more of the Holy Spirit. Give us more faith. Give us more confidence in you, Jesus. Not in ourselves. Certainly not in others. But in you.
Thank you, Lord. As they play, if you need to come to the altar today for any purpose, for any reason, if you need to come and be strengthened, if you're praying for extraordinary things, if you're believing God for impossibilities, if you need to repent, if you need to confess, if you need to be strengthened, whatever the case, if you need to pray and intercede for someone, if you need to come and say, God, (coughs) I've had my eyes on myself. I've had my eyes on others. God, today I put my eyes on you. Today I look up to the hill. I look to the great intercessor. I look to that piece of wood. I look to the cross of Calvary. And God, I want victory today. Victory in my life. You're tired of being weak. You're tired of being discouraged. You're tired of doing this alone. You're tired of having Satan prevail over you. You're tired of losing the battle. Come on, you're tired of losing your children. You're tired of losing them to Satan's kingdom. You're tired of what Satan's doing in your life. You're tired of the opposition. You need to come today and say, God, I'm putting my eyes on Calvary. Give me a surge. Give me a surge of power. Give me a surge of strength. Give me a surge of victory, oh God. Help us today, Lord. Help us today, Lord. Help us today. Help us today. Help us right now, God. You're a very present help in the time of trouble. And we ask for your help right now. This moment, Lord. This moment. God, we confess. We want to confess to you, God. We want to confess times that we felt as though we had the victory ourselves. Times that we felt that we didn't need your strength. Times that we felt like we were just strong enough and we weren't, Lord. We confess any time, God, that we've gone to battle thinking that we could win ourselves, Lord. We confess that. We confess keeping any Amalekites in our life, keeping any trophies of sin in our past. Lord, we repent of it now in Jesus' name. Make us clean in Jesus' name. Clean in Jesus' name. God, we repent. Come on, I feel the Lord right now. Repent. Repent in Jesus' name. God's not going to work in your life in a miraculous way if you you don't repent. Repent. Lord, even small things, shine your light on them. Even what maybe two, three months ago would have seemed insignificant to us, but is an offense against God Almighty. Shine your light on it, Lord. Show us, God. Show us, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us all to pray for next Sunday. God, we pray for all of this week. For those fasting, keep them strengthened in this last seven days. God, we pray for prayer meeting on Tuesday. God, I pray that you fill your servant, Sheldon, with a mighty word from God. Fill him. Fill him with the Holy Spirit. And give him a word in season for our church Tuesday night. God, give us the ability to pray Tuesday night to the pulling down of strongholds. God, I pray for the prayer meeting on Saturday night, God. I pray that even those, perhaps even that those who have things to do would rearrange schedules, God, to make it so important that we come here and we call on God together. And God, we pray for next Sunday. God, have your way. 
Have your way. Have your way. God, you bring who you want through the doors. You touch however you decide to touch. Lord, we're going to be obedient to you. We're going to be sensitive to you. No one and nothing is going to set the agenda except for the Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you in advance for the victory that you've promised. Lord, I'm trusting you. You told me this week there's going to be a shout of victory in this house next Sunday morning. And God, I'm believing that and I'm trusting you for that. So God, all this week, we're going to look to the hill. We're going to look to the cross. We're going to look to the great intercessor. All week, we're going to look to you, Jesus. All week. And our strength won't be found from within. Our strength will be found from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're yielded within. We're yielded within. Hallelujah. Have thine own way, Lord. You are the potter. I am the clay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a good day today, Lord. Thank you that you met with us. You came, you ministered to us, Lord. Now, Lord, all week this week, may we minister to you. May we minister to you as we pray and as we fast. Like they did in Acts chapter 13. As they prayed, as they fast, as they ministered unto the Lord. God, may some who haven't been fasting, God, may you call them to fast this week. Call them to fast. Call them, Lord. May we minister to you this week. And when they gathered in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit spoke. And may the same happen this Sunday. May the Holy Spirit speak in great ways. Thank you, Lord, for the hour you've brought us to. And, and Lord, I know what you're telling me. Next Sunday's not the destination. Next Sunday's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's a new gate that's opening up to new pastures in which we're going to lie and we're going to be content. Thank you, Yahweh Rohi, our great shepherd. Thank you, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord my banner, the Lord our victory, in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen and amen.